Blog Talk Radio. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. Well, welcome to this edition of Wealth Psychology. I'm Sylvia Global. We are so excited for today's show. My name is Emily Bouchard, and I am with uh, the Wealth Legacy Group and my business partner, Jamie Traeger-Muni, wealth psychologist extraordinaire from Israel, is going to be joining us in about a month or maybe six weeks after she finishes her radiation treatment. That's our goal. She's going to be... uh, starting that in the next couple of weeks, and we'll keep you posted for her breast cancer treatment. Uh, We are dedicated to uh, the emotional impact of wealth and how to really clear that so that no matter what level of money and assets and wealth you have in your life, you can really thrive and be successful in your life and really, really be able to go forward and make a difference. And one of the things that we're really passionate about is doing whatever we can to bring you great resources and great information that will really make a difference in your lives. So today we're very excited about our conversation we're going to be having with a terrific guest that we invited on the show. His name is Terrence Heath, and he is the uh, managing partner of Heath Newton Law Firm for uh, Family Law. And I've worked with Terrence, and I'm really uh, so happy you're here. Welcome, Terrence. Thanks. Thanks. uh, one of the reasons we asked you to be here is because you are an authority on the topic that not a lot of people are aware of, and we want to make sure people know about it, why it's important, and then we're going to bring in some of the emotional sides of it, uh, and it has to do with uh, domestic partnerships. And one of the things I wanted to present first before people get to go into the meat of that topic, which is so vital and valuable, is why we're talking to you about this in particular and why you're interested in this topic. And, you know, it was great when I got your bio and I learned more about you and your background. I was so delighted to see that, you know, the first thing that I want to share is that you are a gay single parent that lives in the Mission District in San Francisco with two children uh, and that you are... You are living exactly what you're talking about in certain degrees, and I'm sure you're looking forward to having a domestic partnership at some point. And I uh, want to talk about this topic in terms of same-sex couples, and then also it doesn't relate to people that are uh, living together but aren't married, and are there things that they need to know as well? And Because um, I know you work with all sorts of clients in the whole area of uh, family law, and uh, we're going to speak a little bit about your background, too, because I think that's fascinating as well. If you don't know Terrence, Terrence also was uh, in the Peace Corps. That's so awesome. In Romania, was that it? Or yeah. Wow. How long were you there? I was there for, in Romania for two years. Uh, I wasn't just a Peace Corps volunteer. Um, I, I did that. Wait, wait. There's no, there's no just there. <laughs> It's pretty an amazing accomplishment to be a Peace Corps volunteer. So you were there for a year on that with that hat on, and then you changed to a different role. 
I worked for a U.S.-based law firm in the capital in Bucharest, and uh, um, so that's my first job at a law firm was in Romania. Wow, that must have been something. Wow, what kind of legal stuff did you do in Romania? Um, it was uh, it was corporate. It was um, the, we uh, invested. In, uh, we represented investors for the most part. Uh, so those would uh, banks. Um, uh, Soft, uh, soft drink companies, um, cement companies. You know, they were transitioning from from communism to to uh, oh, uh, capitalism, so they were privatizing. We helped uh, companies buy formerly pub public companies and bring them private. And, uh, you know, that's for the most part what we did. Wow, that's fascinating. And then you came back here and you did research for a firm uh, in in a whole other domain. Like, were you doing the legal side of it, or what, what was that? No, that and that, that predated uh, uh, oh. with, uh, with Peace Corps, and uh, it was investment research. I was actually uh, project management and marketing with them. Uh, learned a lot about uh, small business, running a small business. Uh, the companies we followed. Uh, were venture back companies. It was during the dot com boom. And oh, wow. I had time to work in the field I worked at. But really, it was a, a matter of uh, uh, cutting my teeth in uh, the world of uh, small business, really. And uh, and I, I, I model my own practice, uh, my, my law practice, often companies that, that we followed and studied at that time. And, uh, for the oh, most part, they were invested in by venture capitalists. But uh, the. Um, uh, but uh, and we're not obviously we're a law firm, but uh, just running a small business, running tight, running running uh, clean, um, and uh, putting out a good product. Yeah, and then you're applying that to your your law practice. So you, when did you start going into family law? That's it seems like a pretty big shift from corporate and uh, dot com um, technology yeah, and uh, all that. Um, it was uh, 2002. I decided to um, hang my own shingle and. Uh, I, one of my mentors told me, as far as uh, practice of law, uh, do a whole lot of thing, things, eliminate the things you don't like, and uh, grab onto the things you do. And what I was left with was family law. I love working with people and uh, helping them in times of need. And it's it's fulfilling work. It's definitely emotional at times, but always emotional. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, and you know, making a difference in people's lives, and I like it. It's like most people don't think of lawyer and emotions in the same conversation, and that's what we're having. A, a, this what we're going to be focusing on is, you know, whenever somebody goes into a law office and has to deal with things related to what they care about in terms of their family, there's going to be a lot of emotion in this space. And my thinking is, you all deal with prenups and. Uh, like, do you also do you deal with divorce and divorce, uh, custody, prenups, divorce, custody, uh, and then all the things around those, uh, you know, so, so support um, and uh, uh, parentage, what used to be called paternity. Uh, those are examples of what we do. It goes beyond that, but uh, uh, we work uh, closely with. Uh, Small business attorneys and um, we uh, tax attorneys and uh, uh, estate planning and probate attorneys. We, we we partner with them in order to get the job done because a lot of the questions we we answer have to do with uh, with, with other areas of law, 
were focused uh, specifically on uh, on family law, children, and property within the marriage. Uh, we also do uh, a non-marital uh, dissolution, if you will, um, and uh, that would we call those Marvin actions in California, uh, based upon a case in the 70s was Mar Marvin v. Marvin, which an unmarried couple, uh, straight couple, uh, came, came together and uh, or and then broke apart, and it, uh, it, we deal with the rights around their property when they're not married. Yeah, that's that's so important because you know when people blend their lives and their homes and you know own things together and yet don't have the legal contract of a marriage and you come apart, there's still a lot of things that are, have to be untangled and yep. there are legal ramifications to that. So yes, yeah, and then talk about domestic partnerships. Let's hear about that and let's dive in. Well, we we do a. Well, we do a lot of work with. I was going to add to to this. We do a lot of work with same sex couples, or or um, the dissolution of the relationships between same sex couples as well, which is relevant to the discussion of uh, yeah. of domestic partnership. Um, it, a domestic partnership uh, is any um, uh, relationship. It's uh, typically it's defined as an intimate, committed relationship of mutual sharing. It's a consistent. Uh, definition in California of a domestic partnership. Now that could that could be many many relationships. They're, they're domestic, so typically they need to live together. Um, and uh, there's some requirement that there's mutual responsibility for for each uh, in the in the couple. And uh, so the discussion of domestic partnership is, is important because it, it by recognizing that there's something there between the couple recognizes that they've got mutual responsibilities they share things that they've uh, commingled their lives in many respects and um so the dis discussion about going into the domestic partnership is important um that that may lead to marriage it may lead to some other marriage type relationship uh, that's recognized under California law, it might not. And uh, it's important on the way out of the relationship as well. And uh, and uh, so uh, at Heath Newton, we're both interested in the coming into the relationship and that manifests itself best with prenups, for instance, um, and the going out of relationship when it ha happens. And, uh, and uh, keep being respectful for, to the, uh, the parties, the lives, uh, the family, um, as people are. Uh, now that's a, I want to ask you about that because when I hear prenup, I think your prenuptial, which means before you get married, and we're talking about people that aren't getting married. So is uh, so I would think some people would think, well, I don't need a prenup because we're not getting married. So what is the term you use for that, and what do you recommend people do with that? Because people come to relationships with things they had beforehand. And then when they come together, you use the word commingle, and it's more about, hey, if I take what I had and I put it in the same account of what you have, we're now considered to be commingling and joining those together, and now they're ours. And if I had said, no, no, that's just mine, I've, I've negated that. Like, people don't necessarily get that. So what do you do if it's a, you're not nuptialing? <laughs> the technical term would be a cohabitation agreement. Um, or a uh, property agreement that uh, you can call it whatever you want. Um, the, the sky's the limit with uh, unmarried couples for the most part, and that 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 um, sounds <laughs> great. But but with freedom comes responsibility and um, a whole lot of complications. So um, uh, and that feeds into a discussion of 
marriage equality, you know, why we need marriage equality. But um, the, the, uh, the it's a similar discussion when you're coming together, you're you're blending a household, you're 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 taking your things and commingling them. Um, a a frank discussion about what you're doing is always recommended, um, and we offer that um, both in the setting of co cohabitation agreements on uh, married couples um, or. And then, and with uh, same-sex couples, uh, the, um, the unregistered people who do not enter into a registered domestic partnership, uh, and uh, we recommend those who are going to get married or going to get registered, and that's in a pre prenuptial sense, and really sitting down and understanding uh, uh, what, what's important to our clients, so that they help them with the discussion about what uh, with their their partner on uh, what's important within the relationship and coming out with some real solid agreements. Yeah. I, I, I find I find that, that couples um, are, um, whether they enter into a prenup or not or a cohabitation agreement or not, they are, are quite grateful to have an in-depth conversation about, about property and finances with each other. It's not romantic, but it's certainly um, something that's beneficial for the long haul. Yeah, it was great because you know, working with you and with you know your uh, law partner Eric Newton, we we had Eric on the show to talk about prenups and debts because um, you know I know how passionate you guys are about that, and I'm so grateful to know of a firm that that really takes the time to to dive into it, knowing that there's going to be emotional components to it, and that's been really a wonderful uh, inspiration for me. And now taking it deeper in terms of wow, domestic partnerships where you're not even married or maybe you can't legally be married. I mean, we're talking about California a lot because that's where we are. You're in San Francisco right now. I'm in San Rafael and Marin. And, you know, this is a, a, a each state has their own relationship to this conversation. So we're going to focus a bit on California, and then I also want to make sure we have the broader conversation in terms of if people are looking at moving in together, if people are a same-sex couple and looking at being together, you know, what is it that would go into taking the time, paying the money, hiring a lawyer to do whatever it takes to become a regi registered domestic partnership, uh, why would you do that versus not? Okay. Um, so registered domestic partnership in California, it's, um, it, it, it's technically been around since uh, 2000. I, I, I believe it was 2000. And um, it's evolved. And... Um, and uh, starting in 2005 or so, it uh, it looked very much like marriage. It wasn't completely uh, like marriage, but in terms of the rights that um, and responsibilities that it uh, um, gave to to the the, par the partners who registered, um, it was very much like marriage. And in the past several years, the gap has been closed, um, both through um, through court rulings and legislation, and uh, so with the um, what registration of a domestic partnership allowed in California was um, probably first and foremost for a lot of couples was was recognition of the relationship. I think uh, uh, gays and lesbians, same-sex couples um, in California um, are. are Often are not often feeling on the outside 
um, and that their relationships aren't legitimate, that, that society throughout a lot of people's life, uh, lives, uh, and adults especially in their 30s, 40s, and, um, and upward, have, have felt that they couldn't have legitimate relationships because it wasn't it wasn't sanctioned by society at large in the form of the government. And so the the primary thing is just recognition of the relationship. This, this is this is proper and this is good. Um, yeah, yeah, you can't get more emotional than that. Like no. really, like this matters to me. This is I want the world to know this. I want to proclaim that this this partnership is meaningful. We're committed. And we're here for the long haul, you know, just why anybody would want to be married um, and to have that capacity to do that really means a lot to people. It's yes. just, yeah. Um, and so it's important to note with that that registered domestic partnership isn't called marriage and um, and it lacks that that moniker. But the the rights given um, by the state of California are the same. Um, and that's that's within the state of California. Um, and uh, uh, as a family law attorney, the, the one of the biggest things that's, that 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 is is provided to um, a, uh, a a registered couple is the use of the family code, the California family code, uh, to govern dissolution of that relationship should it happen. Um, I talked a little bit about Marvin actions and uh, actions between unmarried or unregistered uh, couples and. They're they're quite complicated. They're um, they're quite um, overall probably in the on the whole ineffectual at getting to, to the actual relationship between the parties um, from a financial point of view. It attempts to um, impose uh, business for the most part business ideas contractual ideas and in law what we call quasi-contractual ideas on top of a relationship and it just um, it, it just doesn't work and then it, it employs the civil courts it's not the family court to help solve these problems they, they don't want to see this so it, it tends to it tends to to, spend, um, to require a lot of money a lot of uh, resources um, far more than a, than a um, divorce might and the um, outcome is often disappointing. It just doesn't get get to what what uh, a relationship is, especially when one partner stays stays home or has less of a career in order to 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 focus on the household and the uh, family at home, and the other partner is out is out uh, in, in control of the finances, earning the money, yeah. and um, bringing in the bacon. And, so let me like. I want to make sure that um, yeah, you know our audience is following this. So, if you have a registered domestic partnership, you're going to have to go through that legal system that you just if described. You do not that the registration saves you from that. That um, oh, that's you go through that registration because it looks um, like marriage under California law. Uh, then uh, allows registered domestic partners to utilize the family court in order to dissolve the relationship and the family code in order to do so. The same theories apply. And uh, while divorce is, uh, is painful and expensive, divorce, um, it is far less uh, expensive and hopefully less painful uh, using uh, the, the family code, using the, 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 the laws that were designed just for this situation. Now, when you say divorce, again, I'm thinking, all right, I apply divorce to somebody who's married. 
is there a legal term that's that somebody says when you're in a registered domestic partnership and it's no longer a registered domestic partnership and you need to come apart legally? Yeah, so uh, divorce technically is the um, is the the word that's applied to marriage kind of nationwide or in the English language. But technically speaking, under California law, both marriages and the registered domestic partnerships are dissolved. We use dissolution and dissolve. Oh, okay. So we don't allow same-sex couples necessarily to get married, or maybe they are able to, but everybody can get dissolved. So that's what we're looking at. It's like you can do. Yes. Okay. Yes. To go into what we allow same-sex couples to to do, I, I, I'd like to pick it up there because it's um, – I think it underlines some some of the the disparities between registered domestic partnerships and marriages. Um, the um, I, I was said I, I recently I had uh, one attorney uh, describe it this way. Um, she said that uh, that uh, for different sex couples, straight couples, if you will, they um, uh, there are uh, you have two types of marital status. Married and unmarried. So they, they, but with uh, straight couples, that's the way. Those are the two flavors it comes in. Just married and unmarried. With um, with in terms of marriage rights in California and same-sex couples, they come in five. Flavors. Oh, okay. So that's getting towards Baskin Robbins here. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for uh, from May of 2008. To um, to uh, November of 2008, uh, same-sex couples in California were allowed to marry, and those those uh, marriages are still recognized as valid marriages. So are all. Um, uh, so in November 2008, Proposition 8 passed, uh, and uh, that uh, prohibited. Once again, same-sex couples from being uh, for becoming married in California. Um, so all marriages from other places uh, prior to the passage of Prop 8 in November of 2008 are also considered valid marriages. So uh, a valid Canadian uh, marriage uh, that was entered into in 2005, for instance, would be recognized by the state of California as a mar- as, as marriage. So those couples are able to use the moniker marriage. Okay. Um, um, technically correct. Okay. Um, so then um, California law does recognize um, as a marriage equivalent <laughs> uh, marriages that happened in other places after Prop 8 uh, was passed. It, um, mer- it recognizes registered domestic partnerships, um, and that gives, then it gives those people the same rights as married couples and uh, people in marriage equivalents. And then there's the, the domestic partnership equivalent. California does recognize domestic partnership or some, or things equivalent to domestic partnerships in other states. They may be called civil unions. They may be called domestic partnerships. That each state has its own, or states that recognize them have their own um, uh, a moniker for it. But uh, so, um, and then of course there's non-married or registered people too. That's the fifth flavor, of course. But those are, California does have expansive recognition of marriage rights, um, but it just calls it a whole bunch of different things. 
And what are some of the other monikers? Like if people are tuning into this um, and they're in a different state and they've never heard of this before, like what are some terms or monikers that might be like, oh, that's what that means? Or, you I, know. Civil union is probably the, the other commonly used uh, term to describe a um, same-sex couple with um, equivalent marriage rights or close to equivalent marriage rights. Right. Um, so like domestic partnership, civil union is kind of a generic term, but in this context, it, it has, has um, gained meaning. Um, and it's, uh, it's often any more used to describe marriage without using the word marriage, which seems to come to the heart of what's going on here, that people have um, historically in the transition from, from uh, not accepting same-sex marriage towards acceptance of gay sex, uh, uh, same-sex marriage. Yeah. Um, there seems to have been a middle ground there that we didn't somehow want to apply marriage to same-sex couples, and it, it almost seems artificial uh, to me, and, and that's my opinion. But uh, it, uh, it, it, uh, civil, civil union is the other term, that, along with right. domestic partnership, that's most commonly used. So I just want to um, let people know that are just tuning in right now. This is Wealth Psychology with Emily and Dr. Jamie. And Dr. Jamie's on hiatus while she is being treated for breast cancer. And we are here having a really important conversation with Terrence Heath from Heath Newton, uh, all about family law from the perspective of domestic partnerships. So this is really useful information. And you know, one of the reasons that I invited you here is because of a conversation you and I had about the semantics. And what this is like for people that are in these situations when, you know, they deeply, deeply are committed and care about their partnership and, and want it to be acknowledged. And we have these different terms that are imposed on us in terms of what it needs to look like and sound like from society. And uh, you, you definitely had some, some thoughts about that and what you've seen. I mean, you've worked with a lot of same-sex couples in these, in these issues. So what have you seen of like the emotional components of this conversation people should be looking out for and what do you see that's most helpful for them in understanding how to approach it? I think the I don't, I don't know if this gets to your question directly, but what I see as a technician, the the um biggest issue um is that same sex couples have entered into registered domestic partnerships not knowing what that means. It's it isn't marriage. It's not called marriage. Yes, it, it, it comes with marriage rights, um, but but it is not recognized as such. What do you do with that? I, I want to um, underline how uh, uh, the, underline this issue um, by describing how a marriage is entered into and how a, a registered domestic partnership is entered into. Great. Yeah. Um, for a marriage to be entered into under California law, one um, goes to the county clerk's office, they obtain a marriage license. That marriage license essentially licenses you to get married. And then within a certain period of time, you need to then um, have that marriage, quote, solemnized um, and by, by a, a person who is um, an, uh, authorized to, to do so. Uh, that could be a, a, um, a clergyman. That could be a... Um, a ship's captain. I should captain. I don't remember if that's in the California law whether that works, but yeah. <laughs> um, um, and ju uh, certain um, judges can do it, etc. Um, but there's, yeah, there's there's a long list of people. It's yeah. quite permissive, actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's very ceremonial. 
uh, you have a, a, a witness that signs with you, and uh, um, it's it's meant to, in my opinion, to underline the solemn act of becoming married before your uh, before the public, saying I uh, we are a relationship. Um, uh, stand by us, stand behind us, um, and uh, you kind of it's kind of built into the process, mm -hmm. and the specialness of the act uh, is is reflected in uh, reflected by the the laws around it. Um, uh, registration of domestic partnership um, it requires um, getting the right form. You go online to the uh, California Secretary of State's website. You download the form. The two partners sign it, and they have it notarized. That's the romance behind entering into a registered domestic partnership. Um, and uh, that's it. That's all it takes. That is all it takes. And you send the form in. I think there's a fee, and uh, and that's that. And so it's. Um, it, it, I, that 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 sums it up, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, the relative ease of entering into a registered domestic partnership doesn't um, speak to the legal ramifications that that are um, that, that attach when two people enter into uh, this. That it doesn't it doesn't match marriage rights and responsibilities. And um, it was, uh, I think the um, LGBT community talks a lot about marriage rights. We have to remember that behind every right is a responsibility. responsibility um, yeah. Responsibilities to support your partners, um, and um, you've got responsibilities um, and, uh, to to share information um, and uh, to go into um, your business dealings jointly. Um, and it's, it's, there's also big money questions too. I know that there's people that were looking at so thrilled about, wow, I can now get married in my state. I read a whole article about a couple that you know totally committed, been together for years, so excited, and then they realized, oh, this has huge tax ramifications for us. I mean, that's right. a big deal that people. Oh, and when we get married, it's like, oh, that's part and parcel, and yet it, there's something that was a miss for. For that within the community. So let I me. Mean, I'll take. I'll talk about that a little bit. Tax, tax ramifications underline the disparity between federal law and and, and California law. Um, the federal government does not recognize the marriage rights of uh, same-sex couples um, who are registered or married in California. It, it does not see them as married. Um, so that has impacts um, in a number of different areas. Uh, immigration. Social Security, and uh, as you mentioned, tax issues. Um, it, there's a number of other uh, other issues that are regulated by the federal government that impact people as well. But those those are three primary areas. The tax area hits hits people on a regular basis. Uh, the in California, registered domestic partners and uh, same-sex married people um, must get uh, must. Uh, file as married people or as registered domestic partners, but it, they're, they're the same kinds of filing. Uh, so joint filing is is um, is allowed, and um, the the benefits of uh, filing married or as registered domestic partnerships are are, um, are either enjoyed or or they're not, um, but they're treated under California law as married or the same as married. Okay. Um, federal government requires people to file. As single people, and um, 
same-sex married people in California to get a CPA uh, who knows what he or she is doing. Um, it's important that the professionals that that we employ uh, to advise us on our financial lives as uh, registered domestic partners know, or same-sex married people know what they're doing because of the differential treatment for, um, on the federal level versus the state level. Wow, this is really so valuable, and it just it lets you know all the different levels. And for me, in terms of when I think of the psychology of all of this, you know, it just, like, I'm thinking about couples that are in this. They feel like, okay, we've registered, it's a, you know, or we're married, and then all of a sudden, boom, they they have to deal with their taxes, and it's right in front of their face again that, no, not really, or kind of, sort of, but not. Like, it's like this really ongoing painful reminder of the way in which you're acknowledged on certain levels but not on others and when when we work with couples that are dealing with that one of the things that we really look at is all right how do you deal with the reality of the situation because you know oftentimes when i went sailing this weekend and it was phenomenal it was gorgeous weather the wind was perfect you know and there were a lot of flies and it was really surprising. It was like it was this gorgeous day. We were having this wonderful time. And then these flies showed up, and it was amazing. I'm, like, completely having a ball, having a lot of fun, swatting them when they're there. And the captain was, like, completely distracted, swatting at all the flies. He was really unhappy, and he completely fixated on how unhappy he was that all those flies showed up. And for me, it was such an interesting metaphor for what happens in life when we have this amazing partnership. We have this person that we're totally committed to. We have this incredible life. And then when we get focused and fixated on, but we're not being acknowledged, or this is so wrong, or I hate this, it's like it, it really impacts the smoothness and enjoyment of the, the journey together. Uh, so, you know, we really look at how to make it so you can enjoy to the greatest degree what you have in front of you and to not get so... Um, at the effect, to get so pulled off the moment you have that, like, we, we would call it like this reactive response that happens the moment, like, the okay, it's time to do taxes. It's already emotional with the money, yeah. with having to figure out how much to pay, and then the other piece on top of it can bring up a lot of emotion and intensity, and, and whatever we can do to support couples in feeling united, connected, and as a team working towards that with what they're up against, can really be helpful, and I'm wondering, how, you know, what do you do with with couples when they come to you and they, you know, they have their angst about something or their um, their resentment about this stuff? Because I'm sure it brings up a lot of things in your conversations. There, mostly when I deal, it, I, I I don't deal with the couples directly. Mostly, I only deal with one client um, uh, because uh, um, my practice, personal practice, has focused around dissolution and oh. uh, custody issues. Uh, and uh, my, my business partners uh, uh, tend to focus more on the, the uh, bringing people together part of things. And, um, and a number of our other attorneys, we have, we have uh, six attorneys total, and uh, they, uh, they're focused more on, on, on prenups than, than I am. Um, but uh, Well, do you I, find that this is, in, is, like, this is part of the conversation around the dissolution? Like, I don't yeah, know if that ever... Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. Um, we have had uh, dissolution of domestic partnerships that have, um, where the taxes were just a mess because the couple went went to uh, a uh, the practitioner who wasn't skilled at uh, the 
essentially there's there's three returns that have to be made. Uh, there's the California, uh, there's a, uh, a, a a federal, and then there's a faux federal that's created in order to kind of bridge the two. Um, to, uh, so um, that's an annoyance. I think it's a what what I have to, what. What is that? You know, I have to pay more because I'm gay, or I'm a lesbian couple, or it's, I have to pay more money. Um, and or something uh, that's even faux, like it's not even, you know, it's like, it's so remarkable. Wow. Right. Um, and and I give the IRS credit; they're trying to figure this out too. And and my my experience with the IRS on this has been that there's that there's uh, Humanity involved. There's humane behavior uh, in regard to this. They're just trying to flub their way and figure it out as they go. Well, I just I need to stop right there because very few of our people tuning in would ever put IRS and humanity in the same conversation. And you're right. They actually are a humane organization when we interact with them in a way that's like, okay, we have to deal with this together as opposed to being like defiant and angry or, you know, resistant. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. So um, I, we've we've had to unwind uh, problematic tax filings because the uh, the CPA didn't know what he or she was was doing in regard to this, and there are many questions that are unanswered that are unanswerable right now. Um, with um, like I said, the IRS is trying to figure them out. That the the conflict between state and federal laws created such a uh, a mess. Um, that everyone's just sitting here trying to pick up the pieces, mm-hmm. um, and uh, this is this is advocacy that uh, you know to, that the Defense of Marriage Act, which is being questioned by the Supreme Court currently, should be overturned. It's just uh, it should, it, uh, ruled unconstitutional for this very reason. It causes chaos out there and contributes to uh, uh, the same-sex couples that throwing up their arms, basically. So. Why should I get married? Why should I? Why should I legitimize my my relationship in the eyes of the law? Um, because it's just a, it's a bother. It's a, I'm a second class uh, relationship. So why do people do it? Given all of that, when they're when they have to deal with all of this, uh, I mean, we talked about the the legal system and what you have to do to dissolve if you commingle things, and that that's much more expensive and not very friendly and even in a completely different court system and business related. So I got that part for sure. But there's an emotional component to this in a big way. Oh, I, I think it's the same reason straight people get married. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it, it's becoming, um, it's the legitimizing your relationship be, before, before the public, before your family, before um, everything. It's becoming a unit in a, in a, um, uh, a, a formalized manner, um, and uh, and there's a lot of people who feel that that for the children being able to stand there as one, we have been recognized, we are one. The state says we are one, is beneficial. I, I don't I don't know the psychology on that, whether or not that that actually has good long term effects to children. I you know whether a couple is a couple or not, but it's certainly deeply important to people to to, yeah. to step in. To, to that um, that that um, that act, the, the, the California calls it um, the solemnization of marriage. It's a solemn act. It's making it solemn, and uh, it's bringing people together. But and um, you know, we do have a confidential marriage process where, where 
records, uh, marriage records are are kept uh, confidential and secret um, versus a non-confidential uh, process. And um, even in the age when people are trying to protect their privacy, most people and uh, and the, the clerk's offices make it perfectly known that you have a choice. Most people want it a public process. It is. It is a public act. I am married. It's standing up and saying, "I, we are." And uh, so, do you recommend that people that um, are in these situations that don't have children still go forward and do a registered domestic partnership, or is it more if you have kids and you have a family system that you're dealing with? Well, I think family. The the, the concept of family is relative. Um, so, I, uh, I. Uh, the, the thought that a family has to have children seems uh, um, doesn't match yeah. society particularly well, or my view of it. Um, so, uh, one thing that California law does not do is to tell a um, a couple how it how its family should be defined, at least outside the two parent model. Um, there, there's there's ideas floating around to allow that the parenting model to grow uh, to. But uh, right now, two parents, and um, but I uh, marriage two people, and uh, and besides that, you know, they're not going to tell people that they can have children or not have children. And yeah. I I agree with that. I think it's up to the couple to define their, what a family means to them, and to be empowered to do so is really important. Um, yeah. Now we've been that, okay. Oh, go, go on. I'm sorry. Go. That said. Um, I think it's important for people going into a, to, for straight people going into a marriage to um, to look at their relationship from a financial perspective and get and get advice about what it means to get married. I think it's, it's extremely important and because it really when the romance is gone, <laughs> you need you have a business partnership and one that might be fulfilling and and deep and rich, but that's what that's what marriage is. It's the business of family and. Um, uh, so that is that is amplified with registered domestic partners because the, the you need they need to sit down and figure out whether it's worth the trouble. Look, you know you're you're possibly going to feel as a second class relationship, um, and uh, your tax filing is is complicated, and uh, your legal rights are uh, at least um, the, the federal government versus the state government issues. Find. Um, what does that mean to you? You know, I think the discussion needs to happen before people rush into it, and it's all it all comes down to the business of, of marriage or the business of the relationship. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I'm sure a lot of people are listening. And they're like, oh, you know, we mean the rant romance going out of it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we want to be in reality around our relationships. Yeah, romance, you know, definitely a key component to it. Want people to have that for as long as it can exist, and there's ebbs and flows with it. But one thing that happens when we move in with somebody and start sharing our monies and sharing our ownership and things, it, we, we are entering into contractual agreements with each other. And a lot of people miss that the moment that they do become married, they are entering into a contract. It's a contract. It's, you know, it's a legally binding contract. And so many people focus on the wedding and all of the things that go around what they want to have as a result of that day and maybe about the rest of their life. I love that when they actually think about their marriage. It, many people miss that it's a contract. And what I like about this registered domestic partnership, even though it's so unbelievably simple, like I'm really shocked at how simple it is to do. 
and there's not very little cost. I mean, that's amazing how effortless it can be to do it. How much it does come forward and say, hey, we're making a legal agreement here. Just like if I was going to get notarized for some other thing I was doing, like this is there's something about this that is like, oh, this isn't just um, let's move in together and have a good life. It's like no, we're making a decision and a statement that we're entering into a contract together. And understanding what that looks like and means is so powerful and important. So a question I have is how much of this conversation about domestic partnership relates to, let's say, a lot of the work I do is with blended families, where you have two partners that are living together, the kids are there part-time here, part-time there, they uh, they really have a commitment to each other, and yet neither of them wants to get married again. Like there's something so distasteful about the idea of getting married again, or maybe there's even things within their agreements and how things have been set up legally that it's not in their best interest to get married again, uh, financially or otherwise. Is this another alternative for them? So tell me a little bit about what you, you see there. It's a good question because it's um, it's a nuance that's often missed in the um, in the discussion, um, and uh, and I wanted to be able to 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 sneak it in here because um, it, it it is part of the law that that, that registered domestic partnership is almost entirely discussed in the realm of of uh, marriage equality, uh, same sex couples, uh, the stepping stone towards marriage rights, etc. Um, but uh, registered domestic partnership is available to uh, straight couples in well-defined circumstances, and um, you, you need to be um, over 60. Uh, I think it's 62. Um, let me check my notes on that. Um, and uh, you need to be you need to be over 62 years of age. Is that you what you need mean? to be over 62 years of age? And um, the uh, and it is most and you may be straight, but you have to be over 62. It has to do with uh, social security qualifications. In fact, the um, the law uh, the law references specifically the Social Security Act. It's, uh, it doesn't really re reference age. It's just that under how how you qualify. Uh, cross-references Social Security, which ends up today to be 62 years of age. It could go up or down depending upon how Congress acts. Right. Well, we, uh, that's why you have to keep looking at your notes because it's like, okay, what is it this year? Or what is <laughs> it something that they yeah, are? Yeah, that's why I was like, okay, what is it? Um, and uh, so uh, in that way, um, if, if from a business perspective, if uh, if it works for the couple to uh, to not be married uh, from a financial level because there's a, how Social Security pays out, they may take advantage of the registered domestic partnership uh, law in California, register, not be recognized by the federal government as married, but have the rights and responsibilities of the California law that, that registered domestic partnership gives. Um, that would be in, you know, include dissolution of marriage uh, through if they need to do that through with through the family courts, uh, family code, um, property passing um, automatically disposes um, the joint ownership of, of, uh, of, of property acquired in the marriage community property specifically. All those marriage rights and responsibilities of, of support, each other's support, would kick in, but they would not be rec uh, recognized by the federal government as married, and it might end up uh, just, uh, 
suiting them well from a financial level. And that would also um, probably affect them from a tax perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's something really important to talk to. Would, would you talk to an accountant about that? Would you talk to a, a family lawyer about that to really look at it? Because I'm thinking about the blended families that I work with where uh, they may really need to seriously look at what's the best choice for them to make in terms of their their relationship going forward based on so many different obligations around, um, you know, everything from who who's putting the kids on the tax forms as dependents to, you know, spousal support and child support. Like, there's so many different pieces at play. And, uh, you know, whose income is used for, like, if you're paying for kids' college, like, whose income is used to determine what, what you can um, have access to and to what degree. So there's lots of questions. I'm wondering to what degree the domestic partnership plays into that. I think that the professionals to, to discuss with, um, that with would be a tax professional, CPA, um, and a knowledgeable one. Um, so one that understands um, registered domestic partnerships. So, and, um, and uh that would probably be one who works closely with the LGBT community, um, despite the, the fact we're talking about straight couples um, going towards retirement age. Um, the, uh, the most knowledgeable professionals in the area of, um, of registered domestic partnership tend to work closely with the LGBT community because that's registered domestic partnership and, and same-sex marriage. Those issues um, revolve around uh, mostly the LGBT community. So I, a knowledgeable uh, tax professional um, and somebody knowledgeable on um, Social Security. I think mm-hmm. the Social Security rep um, is a person at, at the SSA. That's really um, important. And I want to make sure anybody who's tuning in that's not as familiar with this conversation and is getting new information, when um, Terrence is talking about LGBT, he means lesbian, gay, bi, and is it transgender? Transgender. Okay. So those are the those are like the four different uh, categories that we're looking at in terms of how people are interfacing with couples and how they define themselves, I guess, in terms of how they relate with their partner. So this is so valuable. We I just I'm amazed at how quickly the time has gone by. It's really quite amazing. We have about five minutes left, and we have a couple of things we like to wrap our show up with. Um, I'm really passionate about this topic. I'm so glad we had you on here because. In our book on blended family estate planning, uh, Paul uh, Hood, who's the um, he was a former estate planning attorney who became a consultant and writer. He and I wrote this book, and we deliberately refer to the couples throughout the book as partners and never as spouse, unless it's absolutely re- required for the conversation. And we are we're very clear in the book in distinguishing what estate planning strategies are useful for people who are married and are legally spouses, and then which ones are for domestic partners. And we make sure that same-sex couples are honored in that because they're often blending families as well. You have two children. You know, your you know future partner may have children. We don't know. And uh, it's so important to make sure that you understand. If we're so committed to people being grounded in what their options are and to be really informed. So thank you for this. And I want to make sure um, one more time, can you just say if somebody wanted to enter into a registered domestic partnership in California, what they would do, and then if they were looking at it in terms of whatever state they were in, what they would do. And then I want to finish with our evocative question. Okay. Um, 
Okay, so the first question is um, in California, what would they do to enter into one? Yeah. Uh, the uh, so, uh, the um, California Secretary of State website that's uh, it's uh, www.sos.ca.gov. Okay. Uh, you go to their forms, you download uh, the, the form for registering your domestic partnership. Um, partners sign those that, that form and have it notarized, uh, send it in with the fee, which isn't uh, particularly um, prohibitive. And uh, uh, that, that will uh, qualify as uh, the paperwork necessary to enter into a registered domestic partnership. Um, Prior to that, I would I would say um, talking to uh, professionals about uh, the uh, impact, the financial business impact on you of entering into the registered domestic partnership. Have an intense discussion with professionals and with each other about what it means to be uh, re registered um, and and, and um, even married. Uh, what is what, what is that uh, to you um, uh, from a property finance uh, point of view and uh, getting, just to get to the brass tacks of that and uh, yeah. use your professionals to do so. Um, in the registered domestic partnership context, uh, those professionals would be a tax professional um, for the most part if you're interested in exploring uh, the, uh, uh, what the rights and responsibilities of uh, married people and um, Registered domestic partners in California are a uh, family law attorney uh, would be a, a great resource for that as well, right. and perhaps that uh, guide you down the road of entering into a, a premarital or pre-registration agreement. Great. Okay. Um, and then other states, um, I, I state that the law differs from state to state. Uh, some states uh, prohibit it outright; most states do. Um, an increasing number are uh, are allowing marriage rights. Period, um, and uh, and then there are the states like California that that allow something short of marriage, but where marriage rights are delivered either in full or um, in part to uh, registering couples or those entering into civil unions. Great. So uh, talking to a, to a, fa a knowledgeable family attorney right. in your state uh, would be a, a a good thing, and then also discussing with a knowledgeable tax professional. Great. Well, wow. so Terrence Heath, thank you so much for being here. Those of you who are tuning in, we've been talking about domestic partnerships. Our evocative question is, what is your understanding about the contractual and non-binding agreements that you have with the person you share your life with? So what are you all committed to, and what agreements do you actually have in place, and what is it that you need to look at uh, being more clear about? Our inspiring invitation is if you're in a partnership with a beloved, have a conversation about what matters to each of you individually and as a couple when it comes to your rights, your ownership, and your decision-making around what you share together and about your health and end of life as well, which we haven't talked about at all. Um, and then you might want to check out Estate Planning for the Blended Family. It's a really useful resource. Or you want to go to your uh, state's government page and look at what is their your legal possibilities in terms of being able to register as a domestic partnership and definitely talk to a trusted CPA or family lawyer that understands uh, these particular conversations if you are in a committed relationship but you're not married. 
and you're living together. So thanks again, Terrence Heath. And how would people get a hold of you if they wanted to learn more about your services? And I think you have a free webinar coming up, don't you? I guess I think we do. I think so. Um, our website is www.heathnewton, that's H-E-A-T-H-N-E-W-T-O-N.com. Our phone number is 415-398-1290. Great. Well, um, people can go to the website to learn more about the free webinar and all the other things you guys offer. Thanks so much for being on the show. My name is Emily Bouchard. I am the managing partner of Wealth Legacy Group, and you've been tuning in to Wealth Psychology with Emily and Dr. Jamie on Sylvia Global. Thank you so much, Terrence. We are really delighted to have you here and look forward to continuing this conversation in the future. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City.